Round one. Fight, fight. This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. And welcome to the Aftershock Central Podcast, episode number 32. I'm Martin, and Ronnie's here. I'm here. Jack is not here. He has quit comics. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie said he's... Oh, not Ronnie. Jack said he's only going to be uh, reading Marvel comics and nothing else. He hates everything else. Oh, too, for shame. For shame. We've got uh we've been gone for a while, dude. How long have we been gone? Like two, three weeks, three weeks? Yeah, two weeks. We had that one week where nothing came out though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But since then we've had a lot. There were three books that came out last week. We had three books that came out this week. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna be talking about all of them except one. Yep. We had like four last week, actually. Four? Holy crap, you're right. Yeah. You are right. Okay, yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, that's right, because I'm not counting that one. Right. Yeah, so last week we had Unholy Grail 3, Black Eyed Kids 14, World of Animosity, and Dark Earth number 1. This week we have The Normals number 5, Rough Rider 6, and Fujitsu number 1. Um, I guess let's just start off, do you have anything to say about World of Animosity? Um, just really, it, it goes in depth and kind of puts... A lot of backstory everywhere else that isn't mentioned in the book. I was trying to figure out like so it's kind of, I, w- I was trying to figure out who it's for, and my assumption is it's, it's just for people that have been reading Animosity to begin with because it seems like a lot of material for somebody that's just coming in to pick up the book. Right. You know, it's kind of like it kind uh, of enriches the story. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like, um, what are those books called? Like, they used to have the source books back in the 90s, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they went through, uh, like, character bios and things like that. That's pretty much what World of Animosity is. Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting that Aftershock would take the chance on that. Uh, my assumption is because Animosity does really well, mm-hmm. they can maybe afford to do that, even if it doesn't sell very well. You know, because we've got the the regular book. Now we've got this World of Animosity thing, which I'm assuming is going to be somewhat recurring, maybe like a once a year yeah. thing. And then yeah. the uh, what's it called? The Rise, Animosity, the Rise. It just ended, and now it's transforming into evolution. Oh, that's right. That's right. <clears throat> which that's interesting. So, I like that. It's kind of like uh, Walking Dead and Fear of the Walking Dead, right? Because you're getting two sides of the same story. Right. Yeah, it's cool. I kind of looked at this issue like the Dungeon Master's Guide in D&D. Mm-hmm. I can see that. <clears throat> I can see that. All right, let's go to the next one. Which one do you want to tackle first? Um, doesn't matter to me, buddy. Um, let's go ahead and do. Uh, let's go ahead and do Dark Ark number one. That's been uh, something that I've been very excited about for a while. And uh, we finally got to see it. Why can't I open the book? You're opening the wrong book, bro. <laughs> that's why I can't. Oh, that's why. It opened up to the uh, jujitsu preview stuff at the end of the book. Oh, gotcha. Yep. All right, so we've got Dark Ark number one. It's a brand new, uh, brand new title by Cullen Bunn. So now we've got two Cullen Bunn books at, uh, at Aftershock. Mm-hmm. 
Art by Wando, who's been doing... Um, oh, God, what's the name of that book? World Reader. Well, yeah. World Reader, and he was doing American Monster. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> uh, letters by Ryan Hill, and uh, I think that's it. I've got a bunch of covers. And I'll do a quick yes. recap. Speaking uh, of, oh, go well, ahead. Speaking of, of covers, I want to give a shout-out to Brandon on our Facebook group. Yeah. He was he was at Baltimore this past weekend and was able to score the exclusive Baltimore. Nice. I saw that there's a new one for, I think it's New York Comic Con. I don't know if you saw it, but Aftershock posted it on Twitter this morning. Yes. It is. And, it looks nice. And this issue, number one, sold out, so they're doing a second printing of number one as well. Yep, that's true. That was announced, what, a couple days ago? Yeah. Yeah, that's very exciting. I'm, I'm happy that these books are doing really well for him. You know, Joe, Joe's been in the industry for a long time. I think he, uh, he's he got this thing down packed. And uh, they're they're printing these exactly where they need to be printing them. Yeah, And uh, it's really helping with the, uh, the the marketing a little bit to have books selling out. And uh gives a little buzz, maybe a little extra sales too. So that'd be nice. Yep. All right, so I'll do a quick recap of this book. Um, because at first I wasn't sure what it meant by Dark Ark, and this makes it very clear that it takes place during, during the flood, the biblical flood, and uh, this is not Noah's Ark. This is a secondary ark that is kind of on the trail of Noah's Ark. And while Noah's Ark has two of every beast, and of course a family of humans... Uh, this arc has a family of humans and a couple of every demon and monster from mythology. Yeah, so basically all the beasts that weren't um, worthy enough to make it to the first arc? Correct. Correct. Which I because think that's interesting. Because they're, not all, because they're not all evil or bad because we got unicorns here. You yeah, know? right, right, right. I found that interesting, though, because I always assumed that in Noah's Ark, there would be two of everything, right? Like, including right. mythological beasts, even though they, right. they never say that in the Ark, but that was just always my assumption. And this kind of takes a, a different approach to that, saying that if it's not an animal that, well, they, they call it the clean and unclean animals. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of rules about what clean and unclean animals are in the Bible, Um but whatever is something that you can't eat or use for some kind of purpose was kind of uh, not on Noah's Ark. And all those other things were placed in this new Dark Ark, which it looked like... What's the character's name? Shrey, right? Right. It looks like Shrey was some kind of sorcerer, an evil sorcerer, and made a pact with the devil. The devil said, hey, look, God's going to destroy the world. I need all of my creatures to also make it past the flood. Um, so you're going to build an ark. I'll save your family from eternal damnation because you're an evil sorcerer. Uh, we'll, we'll give you a pass, but you've got to build an ark, save all these uh, witches and vampires and sea creatures and unicorns and whatever else. Um, anything from the unnatural world. You're going to build an ark and save them. And as a result, you also need to make sure that Noah is successful in 
in his uh, trek because my evil creatures need to eat after the flood is over. And uh, what else are they going to eat but whatever survived in Noah's Ark? Which I thought was a pretty interesting twist there. Yeah, it was really, right. really good. This, um, it, like the old saying, is like chaos brings balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Want to overtake the arc or even be the front runner. Well, and this is something, not this particular story, but there's been things that are, you know, stories from the Bible that I've always wondered, like, well, what about this thing? So, like, for example, they, yeah. they do bring up, well, actually, uh, Cain and Abel are in Fujitsu, so we'll, we'll get to that in a few. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, when, when Seth gets, or uh, when Abel gets killed by Seth, and Seth survives, like, what happens to those people, right? Because in the Bible, those people aren't saved by Noah's Ark, right? Yeah. Noah is, uh, not Seth, I mean, Cain. Uh, Noah, Noah's people are from Seth, which is the, the third son of Adam and Eve. Right. Uh, so you would assume that they would be good. Well, what happens to all of Cain's people? And it seems to me like that's kind of what Shrey is. Maybe Shrey is part of that lineage of, of Cain, you know, like the quote-unquote evil mm-hmm. side of humanity. Right. Uh, and to have him be be the forbearer or the, the savior of all these evil creatures is really cool. And I, I love the interaction of all the creatures in the Ark, too. Because, of course, yes. on Noah's Ark, all you have are animals, right? So they're not talking to each other, right? The, we, haven't had, uh, we haven't had the rise in, uh, in the flood times, right? So it's just humans talking to each other and the you know, animals hanging out in the background. Whereas in this dark Ark, you have all these demons and vampires and evil creatures that all have distinct personalities and distinct goals in life. And they're all being themselves, and it's causing a lot of friction. Yeah. Although, the animal, uh, like, well, do you count unicorns as animals, or are they something else? Well, I mean, I guess the unicorns don't count. Because they talk, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, m- most, most of what we see is there's the, um, that crawl guy, I believe it's a sphinx, or a chimera of some sort. Yeah. Um, yes. There's uh, there's nagas which are like sea witches, uh, mm-hmm. like evil evil mermaids kind of. There's harpies, which I really like yep. how that starts. By the way, because on on the Noah story, you have Noah sending out the dove to look for dry land, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, Shrey is sending out the harpies to keep an eye on Noah's ark. Uh, yeah. and, and it's a very interesting comparison between the the two types of arc as well. So I really like that. Um, yep. But there's a Agreed. lot of, there's a lot of descent between all these creatures, right? Like they're they're all getting hungry, and it's really interesting that Shrey and his family have humans that they're using for food for all these mythological creatures. Yeah. So where, how does that get determined? You know what I mean? Like, who gets to be the sacrifice? Because, as we saw, like, some of the sacrifices were okay with it. Like, that they were getting and going to be food. But mm-hmm. other ones were questioning why they had to be eaten. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, my <laughs> assumption is they just got kidnapped. Or maybe somehow tricked into 
getting on this ark. Yeah, right, right, right. And and they know. I mean, we don't know how long they've been on the ark yet, but we do know that mm-hmm. it, it was what forty days and forty nights on the ark. Right. So, I mean, the creatures got to eat. So the humans are fed fish heads, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound very appetizing. And then the nope. uh, the mythological creatures get fed the humans that are uh, underneath the ark. So yeah, that's cool. I like that. And and there's some interesting uh, things brought up there as well, because Kroll, the uh, the Sphinx Chimera guy, he I wants it's a Sphinx. It's a Sphinx, right? He wants to protect that one girl. Uh, it looks like he maybe has some kind of crush on her or something. Yeah, I'm not or, sure how that works. I looked at it more like Sandor and Jesse style. Hmm. Because I don't know if he's a sphinx or not, because he looks more dog-like than cat-like. But yeah, that's true. But I mean, he does have the wings and the lion head or the lion yeah, body right. and the snake tail. So who knows? But he's got his wife there. His wife is pregnant with baby sphinxes, mm-hmm. uh, about to give birth, and uh, that causes some issues with the nagas and the vampire uh, as, as they start arguing later on. You know, they're kind of making fun of Kroll because he's protecting this girl who's supposed to be food for him. Right. And at the same time, Shrey's oldest daughter, who's the one that feeds the humans, she kind of wants to protect this girl as well. So I don't know, like, what their history is that would cause her to want to do that. And it seems that that girl's kind of willing to maybe sacrifice herself if, if the time comes. You know, she maybe, right. maybe doesn't understand it fully, but she's willing to. And and Shrey's daughter even talks to her brother and says, hey, you know, talk to dad. Maybe he'll save the girl and you can marry her. You know, like once the flood's over, we're going to have to procreate. Which that's another interesting thing that comes up from the flood story because it's just this family. So how are they procreating? Are they just going to marry each other and, you know, True. repopulate mankind that way? Right. So all that stuff is really interesting. I thought this book was really well done. It's a super strong first edition. It is. Uh, yeah, I was looking forward to it, and it kind of exceeded expectations. Agreed. Uh, let's rate this one up. I'm going to go ahead and give this a 5 out of 5 for a first issue. Oh, yeah. that's. I'm definitely doing that as well because, like I said, it exceeded my expectations. Plus, left on the cliffhanger to come back for more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic book. I'm looking forward to the rest of this. Uh, where do you want to go next? You want to do the other new book next, or you want to do something else? Let's do the other one then. All right. So then, uh, next up, we've got Fujitsu number one uh, that came out this week, and uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to think about this book, man. Uh, let's see. It's written by uh, Jai Nitz with art by Wesley St. Clair. Also, both co-creators, Ryan Hill, again on letters. And uh, do you want to recap this? Uh, we can try, yeah. We can try is a good point. <laughs> uh, it seems that they have tapped, or Foo has tapped into... Stasis, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, lets his body 
recharge, I guess. And at this point, he's been um, in stasis for three years, I think it says. Yep. And he's been alive for, well, at least past the 30s or since the 30s. I think at the beginning they said he was born in 1897, so he's at least 120. Okay, okay. Yep. Because I know he learned cellular kung fu in the thirties. <laughs> <laughs> That's the weird thing about this book. Like, I I thought it started off fairly straightforward, but and, and and like common, right? Yes, exactly. But pretty quickly, you get some weird stuff going on. Yeah. Um, so you've got so he learned cellular kung fu, which allows him to regenerate his body. Like that doesn't seem too crazy, you know. Like Zen monks and stuff, they have practices to do cellular regeneration, so not too crazy. Right. Um, but then you meet the the main villain of the book, um, who is oh god, what's Robert Wadlow? Uh huh. And I looked it up, and Robert Wadlow was the tallest man to ever live. Oh, that's nice. that's why when you see him on the panels, he's always like twice the size of his henchmen. Yep, I get, yeah, that makes sense now. Um, but so he he was born in 1918, died supposedly died in 1940, and that does come up in the story because he says he faked his death during World War Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he grew to let's see, he died at 22 in 1940. He grew to eight feet 11.1 inches. It's pretty tall. Yeah, that's that's pretty damn tall. <laughs> pretty tall. Now, how he went from being the tallest man in the world to the ultimate supervillain is beyond me, but that's kind of the point of this whole story, where yeah. there's a lot of threads that maybe don't make sense, but when you put them together, they're, they make for a very entertaining story. And mm-hmm. uh, what he has done over the past 70 years is look for ultimate weapons, right? So he talks about... Um, the the jaw that the jawbone that Cain used to kill Abel, yeah, that was the ultimate weapon for a long time. Cain's used to use jawbones as you know, like their preferred weapon, I guess, or whatever, some kind of symbol. Uh, then we have the spear of destiny, which plays a yes. big part. That was uh, the spear that pierced Jesus' side at the crucifixion, mm-hmm. and of course, that's been fought over for a few thousand years. We get some story about why he faked his death, right? He went to Germany to try to get the spear from Hitler. And ultimately, that's why um, Germany lost the war. is because Wadlow was successful in, uh, in stealing the Spear of Destiny. And so he became the most powerful person. Um, but of course, that was destroyed. So he wanted to create a new super weapon, right? The next, the next evolution of super weapon. And he, <laughs> this is where it gets weird, <laughs> because he raised uh, Nazi occultist scientists from the dead, so now there were zombie Nazis, uh, to forge a weapon in Japan out of some material, and it became, it was like a, a, an atomic sword, where it had all these like weird... Um, like relativistic powers because it worked on a subatomic level. And after a while, he he lost track of that weapon, and so now he's he's finally found it. Right, that was that was the, right. the, the goal for him to take over the world. He has to find his weapon again, 
and he's found mm-hmm. it. And uh, of course, the only person that can stop him, I guess, is uh, Fujitsu. And he sends one of his assassins to go take him out, and the assassin is James Dean, who is also not <laughs> yeah. dead because he is now an assassin for uh, Robert Wadlow. And uh, so James Dean and Fujitsu duke it out in Fujitsu's Antarctic base and uh, ends up getting killed by Fujitsu, who uses his uh, toaster kung fu <laughs> to, uh, to obliterate him and uh, erase him from existence. Crazy. Did I, did I lose anybody listening? I bet I did. <laughs> So uh, yeah, it's 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 man. I, I don't even like. I, I was reading it and I was like, "What am I reading?" But I just couldn't stop yeah. reading it, right? You know, because the, the the nonsensical stuff was really fun, and the way that they're interweaving like science, like like serious deep like quantum theory science. Uh-huh. With like mythological, mythical kung fu stuff, with like I guess like a Rough Riders vibe to it because you've got Wadlow and James Dean. Yeah, like real history. Yeah, real history stuff. It's it's really well done. I'm I'm extremely yeah. surprised how well this is working out. Yeah, it's yeah, and to see where it's going from here. Yeah, yeah. And and oddly, it like it it triggers all the things that I love in one book, when those things shouldn't work together. Yes, and I, I that think that's, that's really fascinating. Absolutely correct. I think uh, I I could only imagine like this script being turned into Joe, and Joe deciding like, am I going to post this or not? You know, <laughs> or like or yeah. Mike Martz, and they're just like yeah. they're reading it and they're like, I don't know what this is, but it's freaking genius. Let's just put it out. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. It's fantastic. I'm I'm amazed how well that worked out. Yeah. And I had read the solicits for it, and I was confused by what the hell was going the book was going to be about. Mm-hmm. But but seeing the execution, I'm I'm extremely impressed. Extremely which, impressed. Which shouldn't shock us because some of the solicits for other or past mm-hmm. books have done the same thing, right? Like. We oh, don't yeah. know what the hell's going to happen in this book. Mm-hmm. When we, but when we get it, it's something completely different than what we were thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's kind of how I feel. Um, what, what did they rename um, Life Spanish to? Something Trash. Beautiful Trash? Yes. Okay. It's like reading the solicits for that. You're like, what? Like, what kind of acid trip are you on when you came up with a solicit? Right. You know, but at the same time, seeing all these other books with really out there concepts and those books actually executing gives me high hopes for other things. And I think that's one thing that makes that one thing that makes Aftershock really interesting right now is they're willing to take the chance on offbeat stories that aren't like what anybody else is putting out. Correct. Or what they taking the chance on. The World of Animosity book. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the big two would do just to get another book out there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because I have a feeling that the way Animosity is going, some of the things that might be brought up 
be in the story arc, but will be you'll be able to be referenced in that book if uh, if you read it. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Or on the same token, you won't be lost if if you didn't read it. Yeah, I get you. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. You want to rate this one up or anything else Anything else to say about Fujitsu? Uh, nope, I'll rate it up. I'll give it a four out of five. Yeah. Um, <laughs> first issue, a lot, like you said, a lot of craziness going on at once. Mm-hmm. Um... The art might not be great in a different setting, but it works in this book. Yeah, I agree. The art is interesting. Um, I know you're not like an anime fan, but it almost reminds me... There's an anime called Furikuri. Um, it's FC... What is it? FLCL, I think it is. Furikuri. And the art style is very similar to that. And I- I'm with you. I think it works because of the Japanese influence... Uh, the, and the, the Chinese influence, all the Kung Fu stuff, um, it, it works out pretty well. Plus, because the story is nonsensical, which Furikuri is completely nonsensical, um, it totally works for, for that as well. So, yeah, it, it was fantastic. I loved it. I, I'm with you four out of five. Um, can't wait for the next one. And if you were kind of on the fence about getting it, just just go go to your shop and pick it up. I think it's, it's well worth yeah. uh, giving a shot. Agreed. Since we're on this alternate history kick, let's go to the final issue of Rough Riders. Riders in the store, number six. Final issue of season two. Final issue of season two. That's right. And, uh, of course, this is by a uh, friend of the show, Adam Glass. We've got art by Patrick O'Leaf, colors by Gabe Eltub, and letters by Sal Cipriano. And the sort of the story is Roosevelt dukes it out with Queen Victoria. The team ends up stopping the British invasion of the United States through uh, Hudson Bay. It turns out that Edison was actually joining the anarchists to uh, stop their plot. Or was he? Right. And everybody gets pissed off and quits. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, strong, strong ending to this one. Oh, wait, you forgot. Yeah. Anioki flies? Uh, yeah. Does she fly? Is that one of her powers? <laughs> I was confused well, I, about that. We'll talk about yeah. that in a sec. We'll talk about that in a sec. Um, okay. there's, uh, th- there's one thing that I really liked about this issue, and the fact is that Adam Glass managed to tie this second season directly into the first with the information that we get at the end when Roosevelt is talking to J.P. Morgan. Yeah. Because um, I I guess the way that he realizes that maybe J.P. Morgan was kind of in the background of this whole plot is the fact that he and his buddies had Cuban cigars. Mm -hmm. And of course the first season of this book took place partially in Cuba. So right. that's how we get some of that. Um, I think, another thing. Yeah. Another, another thing that I love too is we get these characters and we get this secret mission stories mm-hmm. 
ties nice and neatly about the history that's real or that we know. Absolutely. You see what I'm saying? So it makes it seem legit, but not as legit. So you take the toys out of the toy box and put them back. Or, but adding a different layer of paint to them. Yeah, be- because there's um, there's reference to the government breaking up uh, monopolies during yeah. the uh, during the early 1900s. Also, and Roosevelt getting handed being president. Because uh, right, Roosevelt being handed president, and and yes, it does tie in directly to history, and sets up what will become season three, right? Because. Right. Now that Roosevelt's president, he realizes that all this crazy stuff that they've been doing in the first couple of, of series, that's not something that they can let the American public know. And now, whether I agree with that is a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, ultimately, I believe that the, the Rough Riders were right. I think it would have been better if the general public was told what's going on. Uh, but again, I'm not a politician. You know what I'm saying? And maybe you just play one on TV. Yeah, I just play one on TV. Uh, I, I just play a podcaster in the podcast. I don't know. And uh, yeah, but but with Roosevelt being president, he realizes well we can't tell people about this, you know, like alien symbiotes in Cuba because uh, that's going to cause you know a problem. We can't tell people that England uh, that Queen Victoria didn't die that she's still de- alive, and that they're trying to take over the the United States. Because that's going to cause an issue, you know. It'll cause further war, um, and the Rough Riders don't like that. What, what the person that I was surprised that brought it to the attention the most was Monkman, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's an old timey wimey gangster, so he gets it. But like, he was on the team just to be on the team again. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Like, I'm going to go along with the ride. Well, now, with the statement of when does the lie stop and you got to keep coming up with more elaborate lies to cover up those lies, mm-hmm. it's like he was actually invested by the end of this arc. Yeah, which I find interesting that it would come from him, though, right? Because him being yeah, a gangster, right. wouldn't he be doing the same thing to cover his own tracks? Right, right. And that's what I was saying was, you know... Before, he was just doing it to do it, but I feel like he went full circle, basically, mm-hmm. here. So let me ask you, do you think Annie has gotten too powerful? Um, no, because I think, I don't know if we actually know all of her powers yet. Well, and, and that's what has me concerned, because yeah. I, I don't, I don't want any to become a clutch for turning stories around in future uh, miniseries of, of Rough Riders. You know. Well, see, I see. I'm going a different way. Is I don't want her to eventually becoming a bad person. I don't, I don't see the risk of that. I think she's she's very genuine and honest, and it seems to me that the only person that she doesn't like is Edison, with good reason. Um, right. But she doesn't like quite have proof that he's evil, right? Like her reason for not liking him is the fact that she's gaining these abilities because of the little alien thing in her ear, um, and that was something that he did. 
But I mean, so, ulti- saying, ultimately, he saved her life. Yes, but you know, if she doesn't know her powers right now, because like when she stopped the bullet, she was like, "Well, I reckon I did." Like she just did it out of reflex. Right. She wasn't thinking about it. But if this alien symbiote is taking over and doing power stuff, then the mind's going to be the brain's a muscle too. So mm-hmm. maybe it'll drive her mad later on too. Yep. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah that makes sure, sense. I'm not sure I'm okay with that because her to be a villain, and that's just me being selfish, I guess. Hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, I guess. The thing is, like, her stopping the bullet was a big thing, right? Because that, that saves a, a key member of the team. Um, when when Edison launches his weapon and destroys the British fleet uh, on the lake, that that's the part that I was confused when I when we first talking about started talking about this. Can she fly? Because the thing blows up and she saves Edison, or not Edison, uh, Roosevelt, Mm-hmm. And they're like flying through the air, right? And she, well, not flying, but you know, like there was an explosion, so they got she's falling blown off. style. Yeah, so so I didn't know if like she came in and like grabbed them and flew off with them, or if it's just the fact that she's indestructible, which we have seen that before, right? She's indestructible, right. Um, and she used herself as kind of a way to uh, prevent Roosevelt from getting exploded. Um, if that's the case, I'm okay with it. I, I don't want her flying. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that she is, but it was a little, a little confusing. Right. So that's what I mean by I hope she doesn't become too powerful, um, because then it could easily be a, a clutch to kind of, hey, everything's going bad for everybody, and here comes Annie to save the day. Um, and, and I don't want that. Yep. I, don't I want agree. That. Um, I think that's it on this one. We we are getting an, uh, a third season of Rough Riders. That was uh, teased at the end. There was an awesome cover image at the end of the book yeah. Yeah. with uh, a group of zombie Rough Riders. Yeah, from from number one of this season. Right, 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 right. So uh, yeah. can't, can't wait I for mean, the next one. That was the number. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait for the next one. It's going to be 2018 is what they said. Yeah. So uh, a couple months off. So yep. I would say around February maybe. Yeah, I would say pretty early on. I'd say pretty good. I think December solicits are out already. Uh, so it'll be, yeah, February, March, something like that. Yeah. That'd be good. That, you know, the series is really strong. And uh, the fact that Adam just keeps on building on this world and uh, adding layer upon layer is uh, is really interesting. And the way that this issue ended has a lot of possibilities for other things, right? So the team's broken up. Yeah. And Edison is the only one that stays with Roosevelt. But, of course, Edison has actually been plotting behind him the whole time because we see him and J.P. Morgan talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. He, he's developing all these new weapons with J.P. Morgan and his associates investing in the weapons. And I guess they just sell them on the black market to the highest bidder. Right. Which Edison's all about himself anyways. Sure. It's not to help J.P. or to Roosevelt or yep. whatever. It's yep. all about him. Yep. Decisions well, gonna make it best for me, and, and I hope with the way this book ended that it means that we're gonna get some Nikola Tesla in the next one because yeah. Tesla is yeah. my favorite, and uh, you know he and Edison had a a long bout of interesting uh, run-ins together. Yep, 
Cool. All right, let's rate this one up. I'll go ahead and just give it a four out of five. Loved it. Consistently strong. Uh, I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5 just because um, it was like the issue finale mm-hmm. and it tidied up things that needed to be tidied up, but you know, left those threads out for other possibilities. Yep. Uh, let's go ahead and go on to Black Eyed Kids 14. Okay. Anything in particular you want to say about this issue? Um... A lot of stuff got revealed. Yeah. And character deaths. Character deaths? That, that shocked me, really. I mean, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I should say shocking, but Joe being the master, master puppeteer, you know what I mean? Yes, 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 yes. Um, there was a, there was a really cool thing I wanted to point out in this issue. Uh, since, since this book's come out and since we started doing this podcast, we have tried to figure out well, what the hell are the Black Eyed Kids? Are they vampires? Are they demons? Are they this or that? Are they aliens? And uh, there was a nice uh, joke in here relating exactly to that. And I believe it's a master that says it, or it might have been uh, one of the kids. I yeah, can't remember. It's the Boy King. The Boy King says it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something about, like, uh, I wish everybody would just quit saying we're effing vampires. <laughs> you know, like, I-, I thought that was cool. It was a yeah. nice touch. Because I'm sure this is not, it's not just us that are, are having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Joe addresses it in the book, I thought was uh, was really, really well done. Right. Really well done. Um, nice. Anything else on Black Eyed Kids or we should just rate it? <coughs> nope. I, uh, I think it's a solid book like it normally is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm going to continue with the trend, and uh, of course I love Black Eyed Kids, so I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. Um, I, I believe the next issue has a different artist, no? Um, I think so. Yeah, I thought I had seen that. I can't remember who it was. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5 as well. Yep, I love it. I love it. It's a great book. Um, again... I still feel it reads better in trade um, because when you read multiple issues at once, there's a lot more revealed. Um, mm-hmm. But this one, I think, was a little more heavy in reveals than what we've had in the last couple of issues. Um, and maybe I feel that way because the book was on hiatus for a couple months, right? So coming back, like, of course, you're going to be getting a bunch of stuff. But uh, yeah, it, well done. Good book. The point is, so it doesn't matter if you're reading it monthly or by trace, you should be reading it. Correct. You should be buying the floppies and the trades. And digital. And digital and hardcover <laughs> when it comes out. And you should buy every copy you find at a convention near you. That's right. And if you have an Aftershock booth at a convention, you should also buy it from them. Yeah. And salsa dance with Joe. <laughs> all right let's go uh to another one that i think is going to be a little quick uh unholy grail number three it's uh cullen bunn and micro kolak and uh we finally get to learn a little bit about guinevere's relationship with arthur uh arthur's relationship with the lady of the lake and we very quickly see 
the affair of Guinevere and uh, Lancelot. Mm-hmm. And, and the birth of Morgan Le Fay. And the birth of Morgan Le Fay. So what what'd you think about this one? Um, I've, I've been high on this book since it came out. I know you and Jack had some setbacks with it, but mm-hmm. being in that mythology and new ways come about mm-hmm. of all the different ways that's already came about is still interesting. Um, art's great in it. Yep. Um, Collins, you know, like I said, it's this nice twisted tale that brings different spins on the mythos. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for for me, it's I'm going to give it a 3.75, though, because some things seemed a little flat and rushed in this issue, but Overall, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, see, so so I feel that way about every issue of this, and I don't mean that to say I don't mean to say that as like a bad thing on the book. It's just it it almost feels like a lot of things maybe glossed over a little bit, you know. And like so for this particular issue, for example, we get we go from the the wedding of Guinevere and Arthur. To, I mean, her cheating on him and that whole thing, mm-hmm. very very quickly, and it almost felt like there was there wasn't enough development throughout that story. And I don't know if maybe I wanted too much out of that because yeah. you know, like the saga of King Arthur is pretty lengthy, right? And it seems like we're getting through that entire story extremely quickly. I mean, a twenty-two page comic, we're on issue what three now? It almost feels like we've already told like seventy five percent of the story. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So the so you think the pacing is too fast then? Yeah, I think it, there might be too much happening too quickly. Okay. Um, but it, you know, it being a comic, maybe I don't know. See, my perception is that we're getting all the stuff that we know out of the way. Yeah. Or all of the the tales that we know out of the way quickly, so we can get to the stuff that the meat and potatoes type of stuff. Yeah. I, I'm okay with that. And I hope that, you know, once the story is over, uh, you know, there may be an issue or two where we get some really interesting stuff that is not in the original, you know? And, and right. I, I, I yeah. get it. Like, this is not the the original King Arthur story. I get that. But take a, take a look at Dark Ark, right? It's the same writer. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, in the same type of thing, you're retelling a, a famous mythological story, um, mm-hmm. but that book feels much more in depth than this one does. Okay, so I do love the art. Mer- Merkel's art is fantastic, so um, yeah. I, I do love that. I'm gonna go ahead and rate this one a three out of five. I think it's good. Um, I ju- I'm not ex- as excited with it as uh, as you are, so. Fair enough. Fair enough. I guess the last book we, we have... all the books? No, we have one more. Re- the best for last? <laughs> uh, a pretty damn good one for last. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. So well, It's kind of it's cool, though, because last week we got a double shot of Colin Bunn, right? Yep. 
and then this week we get a double shot of Adam Glass. Absolutely. So last in the docket is the normals, number five. Adam Glass writing, Dennis Calero on art, uh, Adriana Augusta on colors, and Corey Breen on letters. And uh, this is your jam, dude. Tell me, uh, tell me about this book. Yeah, this... We know that Adam is a big Hollywood guy and does TV and stuff. Mm-hmm. This issue, or not this issue, this series, like a TV show. More so than others. I totally agree. And for some reason, I haven't seen enough of it yet, but it does give me that supernatural vibe. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the Normals, which is their last name, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, they're on the run. And it from last issue, and, you know, um, we find out that the main lady there isn't dead. The real estate lady isn't dead. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids are bored and acting like normal kids. Yep. And the son is a hacky Mr. Robot nerd. <laughs> yep. And the daughter is like your teenage rebellion daughter that's out partying and lying to her parents. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't listen and doesn't stay in the hotel. And then stuff gets crazy from there stuff gets crazy we got uh some some android resurrection we've got yeah. some uh people blowing up we have, yeah and character building in between um the husband and wife mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. trying to work things out yep and yeah. one thing and like it's a tv show i know you guys haven't seen it and i talk about it all the time aaron and i do is banshee banshee's one of banshee's main villains was a nerdy guy with um, a bow tie and had glasses. Mm-hmm. I love it that the one of the main bad guys at the end that shows up is is that as to where you think he's just a nerd or whatever, but you know behind all the clothes and perception, he's a real badass. Mm-hmm. So I love that 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 this villain that got introduced here is. Yeah, I'm with you. And, uh, I mean, I, I fully expect, because we only have one issue left of this, so I fully expect this to be kind of like Rough Riders, where the story is told in seasons. Because um, mm-hmm. right now, the normals have only met this one other android. Yeah. And we know from the previous issue that there's, what, like 100 or something? Yes. Um, so there's, there's going to be plenty of story to be told here. And uh, I just like the way that it's turning out. It's there's like a little bit of Nancy Drew in here. There's a little bit of like um, what's that movie Memento. Yeah. Um, it's it's just cool. There's there's so many different genres that Adam is tapping into to create the story. Um, I found it uh, found it fascinating. Yeah. Final thoughts Pretty, on the normals. It's awesome. It's <laughs> If you're not reading it, then you're crazy. Because, well, like, well, when we revert back to um, Bujitsu, right? Mm-hmm. This this was one of the books where we read the solicits for. Yep. Hell, and then you know C two E two happened, and then of course we read the first issue, and 
it was nothing like what was being solicited. Yeah, so, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the way that the story's turning out. It's not what I expected, and you know, just like we said before, I, I like that. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how well it works for the general public, but uh, for somebody that's invested in these books, I think it, uh, it's a really nice surprise. Yeah, agree. So next week, there's no books, from what I can tell. So it'll be, uh, which is fine, because we're recording every two weeks. So there's no books on the third. The next set of books will be out on the, or the fourth. The next set of books will be out on the 11th. And those books, let's see, we've got Jimmy's Bastards, number four, which cracks me up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've got Alters, number seven. Which is a book that I really love. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Baby Teeth number five. Jack's favorite book. Yeah. But he's not reading it anymore because he's all Marvel now. He's all Marvel. He said, screw I everybody else. It is the third. And we get no Aftershock books? Come on. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, you know, so we've had uh, two, uh. two weeks back to back where it's three books uh, each week. And now yeah. to have a, a week with no books, that's going to be, uh, I don't know, I'm going to be lonely. Yeah, what am I going to read? <laughs> well, because we'll have to reread issues that we already have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap this one up. It's been fun, Ronnie. You can find Ronnie at Rumbar316 on Twitter. I'm at Geekvine. The show is at AfterShockPod. And be sure to head on over to NerdLegion.com to check out all the other shows. If you have uh, one of those Amazon Echo devices, you can also listen to this podcast on the Amazon Echo. How about that, Ronnie? We're fancy. That's right. Just uh, add the AnyPod skill and you can listen to the uh, this podcast and all of our other podcasts. That's it. We'll catch you guys in two weeks. Have a good one. Finish him.